in prayer for that. Matthew 27, say amen if you're there. Verse 45, now you sound a little sleepy this morning. That means your Sunday school teacher didn't give you enough donuts and coffee, amen? So I'm going to try to help compensate for that. We're going to read five verses. I'm going to ask you as a congregation to read the odd number of verses. I'll read the even number of verses. Now here's how we do this, in case you've never done this or if you've done it before. I want you to read so loud you are annoying to your neighbor next to you. Can you do that? Some of you annoying without even reading, amen? But uh, I want you to just be annoying just by reading out loud, okay? So verse 45, all together, congregation. Now from the... At about the ninth hour, now mark this down if you don't know this. That was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli. Lama Sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why? Why hast thou forsaken me, congregation? And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. Congregation? Would you notice verse 50? Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. I call your attention this morning to verse 46. Seven statements our Lord Jesus Christ made from the cross. We looked at number one last week. This morning we're looking at number four. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your love, which is so abundant, which is so merciful, which is so good, which is so encompassing that, Lord, we don't have the words to describe it or even understand it except for the fact that you love us. And, Lord, thank you for this season of the year that we can take some moments to, in our busy schedules, to revisit for some and to visit for the first time for others why Jesus Christ, your Son, came to earth to die for our sins. Why he gave himself as a sacrifice for every man, woman, and child. As we look at, Lord, this statement from the cross and it's uh, the embodiment of what it means, I pray that our hearts would be good soil that's been broken up, that's, uh, Lord, prepared and ready to receive your word. And as a good seed, we pray that your word would embed itself and take deep root in our hearts. We pray that you prevent the thorns wrapping itself around what grows up and prevent that our soil is not so hard that it cannot take root and prevent that the seed doesn't go in wayside soil that's trampled upon or worse yet, where the birds of the air can snatch it up and take it away. But instead, let your word come alive in our hearts Open our eyes, behold wonderful things out of your law. Convict us today, Lord, of how we need to be closer to you. 
And for some today, how they need to engage by knowing Jesus Christ, your son, as their personal savior, as the 11 did yesterday at the Perez home. Father, we need you today in a very powerful way to work in our lives. Have control of this service, our hearts and lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. May 19, 1780, go back to your history books and look at this. An unusual event happened in the area which we now know as New England. Literally around 11 or 12 o'clock, the entire landscape over New England, which stretched from New, the city of New Jersey all the way up through cities in Canada, was engulfed in complete darkness. The history books, this is known as New England's Dark Day. I mean, the skies were not just overcast, they were dark. They say the darkness was so complete, people had to take candles and light those candles to see their way around. This dark day literally lasted until the very next day, into the evening. Now, after some time, they realized that that darkness was a contribution of just an overcast sky contributing uh, and, added, and added to that a, a, a major forest fire, which was sending plumes of smoke from miles away. The wind was blowing in that. And that all these things that were happening there uh, just led to this, this complete dark situation. If you go back and read some of the, uh, the Puritan literature, there were some Puritan preachers that thought at that time, and even members that were in, in, in uh, political offices that thought the judgment of God had come on America that time. Such was the darkness that, over, that overcast that whole situation there. Winston Churchill wrote in his diaries of something that has now been called by historians the darkest hour of England. It was at the time in 1941 when the Axis invasion of Europe made its way up to the Soviet Union and the Axis invasion had conquered France. And Winston Churchill got up with back in those days what I would call primitive radio and announced to all the people of, the, of England and the British Commonwealth we are in the darkest day of Britain's history. And certainly if we had lived during that dark day of New England and we had been there to hear the articulate voice of Sir Winston Churchill as he announced to his British people we are facing the darkest day of history at that very moment of time, contemporaneously, we would have said, yes, this is a dark moment. But brother and sister in Christ and friend and visitor here today, what we just read in Matthew 27 was truly and certainly in an unprecedented way was the darkest day ever in human history. The darkest day in human history when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, hanging on that cross, suspended between heaven and earth, died for your sins and mine. And each of the statements that he made, there were seven in total, were seven riveting statements that have life-changing messages for us. Last week, we looked at the very first of those statements when Jesus cried out as they had just crucified him. And they hoisted the cross and stuck the beam on its bottom into a, into a hole. And as his bones felt jarred, and everything was moving and he's feeling the pain from his feet to the head. He cried out, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. At a time when most of us would be given to feelings of bitterness and feelings of retaliation and feelings of anger and perhaps in some cases even feelings of hatred. 
Our Lord's heart, because he was Jesus Christ, was filled with love and mercy and concern for the very people that crucified him. And his cry was, Father, forgive them. May I say this morning, the cry of our Savior today is still for forgiveness. Amen. Thank God he's willing to forgive us. We go to statement number four this morning. In this fourth statement, we hear the cry of our Lord Jesus Christ. A cry very similar that you and I might make when we are in terrible pain. When the suffering is at its extreme. When we can take no more. When we wonder, can it be any worse than it is? And from the, from the, from the depths of his lungs bellowing out as only the Son of God could, perhaps so loud that everyone who congregated around those three crosses, everyone there on Calvary or Golgotha could hear him cry out, My God, my God. He was talking about himself as he talked to God the Father. God the Father, there looking upon God the Son, he had let darkness cover the earth and God the Son crying out, My God, my God, why? Why? Hast thou forsaken me? Invariably with a group this big here, some in this room have felt the pressure. You're back against the wall. You've been in a predicament. You've been in a situation where you have felt like you were in such the darkest moment of your life. And perhaps in your heart of hearts, so maybe you didn't share with anyone else, you cried out, Why, God, have you forsaken me? Why, God, have you abandoned me? Why, God, have you deserted me? My God, my God. Why has thou forsaken me? This morning I want us to go back to Calvary. I want us to go back to Golgotha's Hill. Where in verse 46, our Savior, our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, made that a statement. And how Jesus experienced the depths of human exasperation. And how Jesus identified himself as the ransom for every sinner. I want you to consider with me what transpired when Jesus died. Would you notice number one as we look at verse 45. Would you notice the petrifying darkness the petrifying darkness. The Bible says, now from the sixth hour, which was 9 a.m. when they crucified him. From the sixth hour, and by the way, even before 9 o'clock, Jesus had suffered much already. He was already exhausted. He'd already been beaten. He was already disfigured facially. You read that over in the book of Isaiah. He was disfigured. He was already, blood was flowing from his wounds. His back was all torn to shreds. His, blood, his face was bloodied in a mess. He had gaped. He had just, he had, he had terrible facial wounds because they, the people were so mean and so cruel. Those Roman soldiers, they ripped chunks of hair, which included flesh out of his face. I mean, our Savior is beaten and hurt. And now he's on that cross. And the Bible says at 9 a.m. or the sixth hour of the Jewish time clock, until the, uh, from the sixth hour, there was uh, from the sixth, excuse me, the, the third hour is when he was crucified. The sixth hour is 12 noon. I'm sorry to change that. The sixth hour was 12 noon. From the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. You'll notice here Jesus crucified at 9 a.m., which is the third hour. It's the sixth hour, 12 noon. Our Savior is, is, cries out, and he's about to cry out, and there's darkness over the land. Before this cry is mentioned, God the Father sent darkness over the land. Now, to understand that, I want you to consider some things. For a moment the, 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 the description of darkness. I want you to understand some things. And I want to go back a little bit in history and understand the context of darkness as it affects us. Because right now we're, we're sitting here with the lights on, it's daytime, and we just need to grasp how dark that moment was, how physically dark it was, but how spiritually dark it was as well. Abraham, for instance, if you go back to the book of Genesis, Genesis 15, 
Abraham fell asleep and the time when God was going to give him the Abrahamic covenant, the Bible says when Abraham fell asleep, he saw a horror of great darkness that fell upon him. For some, darkness is very terrifying. For some, darkness is a horror. Uh, we go over to the book of Exodus and we find there that Egypt was overcome by a plague of darkness because of Pharaoh's refusal to let Israel go. In Exodus chapter 10 verse 21, the Bible describes this darkness that the darkness could be felt. In Exodus chapter 10 verses 22 to 23, it describes the darkness as being so thick that the people saw not one another neither rose any from his place for three days. Listen, if you're in darkness for a long period of time, that is not good for your health. If you're in darkness for a long period of time, your eyes get used to the darkness and when you come out to the light, you cannot take the light. In fact, the scientists and, and uh, clinicians say that if you're in darkness for too long a period of time, it could wind up affecting your vision so badly that you could be blind if you go back into the light. Consider with me tonight, this morning, Deuteronomy 28, 29. It describes the blind that grow up in darkness. Can you imagine someone born into blindness? They've never seen light. They've never seen images. They can have a concept in their mind, but they really don't know what it is, and they're walking about in darkness. All they know is darkness. The psalmist said, Psalm 91, 6, he speaks about the pestilence that walketh in darkness. He talks about difficulties that walk in darkness. Job used the term darkness 24 times in the book of Job to describe his plight and his trial. Paul refers to the hidden things of darkness. You will be, when you're in darkness, you're exasperated. When you're in darkness, you, are, you have fear. When you have darkness, you're scared. Take a little child. Children in any place of darkness become very scared and frightened. People's blood pressure increases when there's darkness. People's tendency to be more fearful increases in darkness. People's tendencies to be worried and filled with anxiety increases with darkness. You stay in darkness too long, you will die. Notice we see the description, but notice something else we consider verse 45. Consider the doctrine about darkness. Darkness was like a power outage at night. Daytime became pitch dark. The sun, the stars, and the moon were nowhere to be found. There was nothing but calamity surrounding the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine with me in your mind, there's all this crowd that's assembled at Calvary, throwing things at Jesus. Groups that have spit on him. People that are saying nasty things about him. This crowd that's assembled there. They're sadistic in their thinking. Sadistically watching him suffer and die on that cross. And then, if you would, the Bible says in verse 45, From the sixth hour at twelve noon, darkness was all over the land until the ninth hour. It was pitch black over all of the city of Jerusalem and good parts of Judea. The entire landscape was dark. There were no stars to be seen. The moon hid its face. The sun was nowhere to be found. This was not an eclipse of any kind. This was not a lunar eclipse. This was not a solar eclipse. This was the entire blackout of the entire area. God the Father darkened everything. It's a way of saying that God the Father had turned his back on God the Son. That God the Father could not respond to God the Son. The darkness brought fear and even to the hearts of the bravest soldiers. Darkness brought fear into the hearts of those Hebrew priests and, the, and, and those men who, who presided and, and, gave, and, and presided that Jesus was guilty of crimes he never committed. The darkness covered the lamb and the mood of the moment changed. Darkness brought an uneasy feeling into every heart. Mothers probably took their little children and ushered them into the homes. Husbands who cared about their families took their wives and their children and took them inside and brought them into their homes and probably lit a candle into waiting it out. I mean, there was a mood change that happened over there. You see this, this morning, my friend, 
Darkness, as we look at it, is a description of sin. Jesus described it this way. Men love darkness rather than light. Darkness is a description of sin. That is a description of where we're at without Jesus Christ as Savior. We're described as children of darkness. You read Ephesians 5, and the Apostle Paul talked about we were once darkness. And listen, that's where you walk right now. If you're not saved, if you've never called on Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you are in darkness, spiritually speaking. Darkness is a description of sin. Darkness is a description of suffering. Someone going through immense periods of time of suffering, difficulty. They feel like there's nothing clear to them. Everything's hazy and fuzzy. They're in a moment of, of darkness, if you will. They're in a very, very dark moment. My mind goes right now to members of our church and extended friends of our church. We're going through uh, trials of suffering. So many of our missionaries seem to be suffering right now, different trials. I think of our good friend down who's ministered to the Hispanic-speaking people, Brother Dan Garlic right now, who is diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. They just found out this week from the test they did. He has a very advanced form. We're praying for a miracle that God would spare his life and God would heal him and reverse this. And we're calling upon the Lord who heals, Jehovah Jireh, that he would do something for him. And then yesterday we got a message from our, our missionary there in Hermosillo, Mexico. Brother Louis Montano of how his wife Maggie, that her mother just had a stroke and they had to airlift her from one location to another to get her good medical care. I think of a good missionary that many of you don't even know about. His name is Raul Zapata. Raul Zapata is an area where the Jalisco uh, uh, gangs are, are there. And every day, the people that he ministers to and he's trying to reach for Christ, they're under fear of being kidnapped or killed. And every day, almost weekly, I get a message from Brother Zapata saying, Pastor Fogg, please pray for us. We're in very perilous situations. Situation. Recently he sent me some pictures of two men that he knew that disappeared because the Jalisco gangs probably kidnapped them, did something. Nobody's found their bodies yet. His sister somehow got, her phone number got out there. They've been threatening her to kill her. I'm thinking of so many of our missionaries suffering right now, physical ailments or some trial of another. And so many, I recently just this past week preached at a preacher's conference with several other preachers for two days. And some of the preachers sharing their burdens. I think about Brother Tom King who's labored for 30 years down there in the Hanford area down in Fresno and how as he was enjoying a good season of ministry his wife had a stroke and a number of other issues going on and no money by which to deal with the issue to try to get her to Stanford how God took care of all their needs and he's sharing describing how he's in a dark moment maybe you're going through a dark moment right now maybe you're in the darkest place of your life you're going through suffering I'm just saying this morning darkness is a description of sin darkness is a description of suffering darkness is a description of solitude would you notice in verses 45 and 46 the focus of the darkness was not on the people. The focus of the darkness was on the person on the cross. The focus was not on the crowd. The focus is on Christ. The focus is on Jesus. The darkness over the land was because Jesus was on the cross for you and me. It was a description of the solitude, of the loneliness that the Lord Jesus Christ was enduring. Isaac Watts wrote in his hymn that we sing at the cross, Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin. It might be this morning you're going through a dark moment. It might be this morning you are battling with the powers of darkness. It might be this morning like the people in Jerusalem that this day you have to come face to face with the darkness and realizing your blindness, your weakness, and your need for Jesus Christ. The darkness started at 12 noon and consecutively without a gap from 12 noon until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 
darkness covered the land. We see this piercing darkness. Would you notice verse 46? We see the pitiful desertion. We see this darkness that covered the land. And Jesus, if you would, he was God, yes, on that cross. But he was also man on that cross. He was man, yet without sin. And Jesus felt what you and I go through when we're in difficulties. Listen, this morning, have you ever felt lonely? Jesus felt loneliness. You ever felt discouraged? Jesus felt discouragement. You ever had sorrow? Jesus felt sorrow. You ever wept? The Bible says Jesus wept. You ever got hungry? Jesus got hungry. You ever been hurt? Jesus was hurt. And there at that moment, we see the depths of human sorrow. We see the depths of hurt because Jesus not only experienced darkness, but you notice this this morning, Jesus experienced desertion. Now, I can't think of anything worse as a human experience than desertion. To get a message that a wife finds out that her husband has deserted her or her husband finds out his wife has deserted him, or to find out from a, from a child to find out that the father is gone or the mother is gone, they deserve it. I can't think of a human emotion that's worse than the feeling of knowing that you've been deserted, you've been abandoned, you've been left alone, and you have no hope of where to go. But can you imagine Jesus Christ, our Savior, understood abandonment and desertion because there on that cross, as everything was dark, he knew that the will of God had to be completed. He knew that even though God the Father could send 10,000 angels and help him, God the Father would not send 10,000 angels and God the Father would not intervene and God the Father would not answer his prayer and God the Father would not deliver him from this cup of suffering that God the Father would remain silent for that period of time so that salvation's method would be complete with Christ dying on the cross and part of it if you'll notice in verse 46 as our Savior in those agonizing moments who suffered like no man before or no man after ever suffered how Jesus enduring the punishment of sin for every sinner how Jesus there, as he was hurting, as he was aching, as he was throbbing, as he was, his breath, his breathing became more labored. It was more difficult for him to breathe. It was more difficult for the blood to pump itself as the blood started to clot and coagulate, as the wounds still kept, as he kept having the blood flow out of his wounds. I mean, all the agonists going through him and just being used for, already for three agonizing hours, the pain just riveting through his body from head to toe and toe to foot. Can you imagine our Savior going through all that? And then this darkness happens and he knew because he knows all things that that the consummation of this crucifixion was near and there Jesus in complete exasperation feeling the utmost of loneliness feeling the utmost of being deserted and abandoned our Savior cried out with a bellowing voice with all the power that he could he cried out my God my God and that's what you and I say, God. And listen, you have a personal relation with God. Thank God this morning if you're saved. He is your God. He is your Savior. But there at that moment of time, our Savior cried out, My God, my God, God my Father, God my Creator, God the Creator, God of the heavens and the earth, God who is greater than all, my God, my God. God symbolizing God who is great and God who is mighty and God who can do all things. God did not do anything to intervene for his son. And he said, why hast thou forsaken me? Go with me to Psalms 22 if you would for a moment. And notice in Psalms 22, we have these same words mentioned in Psalms 22. Would you turn there, please? In Psalms 22, we find that these words of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross in Matthew 27, 46 are a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Now, if you're somebody searching you're somebody looking. You're somebody wanting to know, how do I know the Bible is true? 
How do I know that Jesus Christ was real? Let me tell you this morning, would you just take the effort to look through the Old Testament of every prophecy that was described about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and about His suffering, and you'll find record after record throughout the Old Testament of these prophecies, verses that mention something He would say or what would happen to Him that are fulfilled here in the New Testament. And one of these, if you read Psalms 22 very carefully, this is a what we call a messianic psalm. It's about a psalm dealing with our Lord Jesus Christ. And we find statements here that reveal to us what Jesus suffered. And I'm going to take you to that for just a moment so we can understand the depths of desertion and loneliness. Notice the psalmist wrote here, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Notice this feeling here. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? May I say to you this morning, God has not called anyone in this room, and God has not called anybody here on planet Earth of the 7.6 million people that are alive right now. God has not called you. God has not called called me. God has not called anyone else to bear a cross for the sins of others. Only one man was capable of doing that and that's Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And thank God Jesus took it for us. But He didn't call you and call me to die for our own sins. He sent His only begotten Son to die for our sins. And Jesus understood the depth of loneliness. He understood the depth of being forsaken. You say, well, well, Pastor Father, I want you to know God was not there when I needed Him. And God abandoned me and God deserted me. Now I can't speak to that, that whether or not God deserted you or abandoned you. I can't really say that because I know something about the Christian faith that one thing, that God has His perfect timing. And just because God did not answer you doesn't necessarily mean that God left you. Because we have a promise that our God gave to us. In fact, our Lord and Savior said, He said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And we know this, that God God is for us and not against us. And He said He will never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. So for every believer here today, and prospective believer, God promises to be with you. Now that doesn't mean He's going to answer your prayer your way. I'm praying for my good friend Dan Garlic that God would heal him. I'm praying that God would raise him up and heal him as he did last year from an ailment he had. But listen, if God chooses to take him home, it's still good because he gets to go home to be with the Lord. Amen. It's not bad. It's not evil. It's all good. And we have to understand God's ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. And what we may think is evil might really be good. And what we think is good might actually not be the best thing for us. God is interested in giving us the best not less than the best. And so we look at here, this man here, he's crying out, why art thou so far from me? And maybe you feel like that. God is far from me. And you feel like that. Why, why will you not hear the words of my roaring before you write God off? Before you, got saved, before you say God failed you, before you get bitter and say God was not there for you, why don't you get up close to God and say, God, let not my will be done, but thy be done. And let God reveal to you why he's put this in your life. Every trial that God puts in our life and difficulties orchestrated by the Father lights in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And we must get our thoughts wrapped around the fact that if you're going through suffering, if you're going through trial, you're going through difficulty, which is the lot of every one of us, we must accept and acknowledge this morning that that is the gift of God to us. And we must have the attitude to say, thank you, Lord, for even the trial there. And I'm saying this morning, if you feel like God is far from you, it might be the service that God is going to be close to you. And it might be in the service that God wants you to just come up close. And it may be instead of God having to come down to your level, maybe it means that you need to come to God's level and meet God at the old rugged cross and meet Christ at the old-fashioned altar and meet Christ where he meets every sinner. And let me tell you this morning, Jesus never turned away anybody who came to the cross. 
And he's not going to turn you away. And he never turns anybody away who comes to the old-fashioned altar. He never turns anybody away who confesses they're a sinner that needs to be saved. Hey, let's put down our pride and put down our arguments and our excuses. And with humility, come to the Son of God who's able to help us during our times of difficulty. And notice he says here, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from me? Notice what he said in verse 2. And I imagine this is our Lord. This was his prayer on the cross. Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. In the night season, and am not silent. I think Jesus... Jesus was saying, the psalmist was saying what Jesus did. He was crying out from his lips there on the cross, Lord, why will you not hear me? Lord, why won't you help me? And then darkness came, the night season of darkness came, and he cried out even so the more. Look at verse 3. But then, but then notice his perspective. He said, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. As I said just a moment ago, if you're going through challenges and difficulties, always remember, just give God the glory and praise God through that. He said, thou art holy, O Lord. And then he said in verse 4, our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted and thee and were not confounded. He's saying, God, I go back in history. You were there for Moses. God, I go back in history. You were there for Joseph. I go back in history, Lord, and you were there for Elijah. And I go back in history, Lord, and you were there for Joshua. And I go back in history and you were there for David. And you were there for, you were there for all the prophets or Samuel. But God, why aren't you there for me? I mean, that's where Jesus is at. This, you read Psalms 22. It's the description of the depths of the sorrow and hurt Jesus Christ went to. And notice verse 6, if you can imagine anything more pitiful more descriptive of how terrible the situation was for Jesus he said I am a worm I'm a worm I'm a I'm a I'm a bug crawler I'm crawling on dirt I'm just like an insignificant worm nobody cares that I'm here nobody cares that I'm hurting Nobody cares what's going on. Nobody cares that I've been spat upon. It's almost like the psalmist said in Psalm 142, no man cared for my soul. I'm a worm. Can you imagine the Savior, the creator of all the world, equating himself to the image of a little worm? I'm a worm and no man. He'd been scorned. He'd been spit upon. All he had left in this life were the clothes on his back. And they took even his undergarments and they parted in fours because there were four soldiers that were with him. Look at some descriptions here. Look at verse 7. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. That's what was happening. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him. See, he delighted him. Listen, that's exactly what they were saying as you read back in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. He said in verse 13, they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. Do you understand something? The creator was on that cross. And the creation, the creatures, us. They swore at him. They cursed him. They blasphemed him. They said nasty things about him. Things they said that they could never take back. This is how he describes his physical feeling. Look, you notice verse 14. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up. He says, I'm, I'm dried up. I have nothing left. My strength is dried up like the pot shirt. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Jesus describing the, the inhumane of what he's going through. He's dehydrated. He's suffering. His blood is coagulating different spots. There could have been blood clots flowing through his veins. 
The shooting pain was at such a degree that that's all he knew. He probably could, was wondering, well, could it, is it even possible to not know pain? He said, dogs have compassed me about. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Listen, if you doubt anything about Jesus Christ, right there in Psalms 22, it prophesied of Jesus being crucified. You go to the book of Zechariah, and the question asks, what are those wounds in thy hand? Listen, nails went through his hands. Listen, I'm telling you, they just didn't touch his hand. They went through his hands, and they went through his feet. He said, they pierced me. And they're hanging there. Notice the description. If you can add anything so pitiful. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. What sadness. To be forsaken means to be abandoned, to be deserted, be all by yourself. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. Jesus experienced darkness. Jesus experienced desertion. Jesus experienced distress. But you notice something else, though? In Luke chapter 16, please write that down in your notes. Luke chapter 16, we have the vivid, horrifying description of a man who went to hell. Jesus took that audience in Luke 16 to a real person, about a real person. And he gave us a glimpse in Luke 16 of the darkness of hell. Not only the darkness of hell, but I want you to focus on this for just a moment. He helps us to see the abandonment and the forsaking that's in hell. People joke. Well, if I go to hell, I'll be with all my friends. Yes, you'll be with all your friends, but ain't, hell is not a place of parting. It's a place of pain, a suffering that's everlasting from everlasting. And this man, the focus on this man, would you notice some things about this man? First of all, when he's in hell, the Bible says the first thing that happened, and he being in hell lifted up his eyes. He looked up to heaven and realized it was too late. He realized where he was at. There's, let me tell you today, there is full consciousness when you're in hell. Full conscience, like we're sitting right here in this auditorium. And this man, while he's there, he cries out to God to send someone to dip the tip of his finger in water to come and touch his tongue to relieve him of the suffering. This man has been forsaken. He's understanding what it means to be forsaken. And he's crying out to God. He's praying and saying, God, and he's crying with urgency. He wouldn't pray when he was alive. He wouldn't come with urgency when he was alive. But now that he's dead and he's in hell with full conscience, he's crying, God, Father, Father, would you send someone with, with the, what, they'll tip, dip their finger in some water and just touch the tip of my tongue? He says, this torment is too much. He, he, he felt the desertion there. And then we go a little bit further, and, and, and God tells him, it's too late. You had your time. It's too late. And then we read the dialogue between this man and God in Luke chapter 16, and we see what eternal abandonment was all about. We see God, this man, reaching out, begging God to do something. He even prays and asks God to send some missionaries from heaven to go to his five brothers 
and tell them about Christ and how they need to get saved. And God told them, they have Moses and the law. They will not hear him. They will not hear anyone I sent from heaven. This man, as we read Luke 16, yes, it grips us about the horrors of hell, but it also gives us a description of what it feels like to be forsaken, abandoned, and deserted, the hurt and the crying that goes along with that. Ladies and gentlemen, today, I want you to understand, when Jesus cried out that one statement, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was saying, there's, there's nobody there for you when you've been forsaken. There's an overwhelming fear when you're forsaken. There's loneliness that's indescribable when you're forsaken. There's the feeling of being despised like a worm when you're forsaken. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth when you're forsaken. Everything about the depths and the horror of being forsaken, abandoned, are there. Listen, Jesus Christ accepted that, and he received that, and he endured that for you and I. I remind you today, that was the sinner's penalty Jesus was enduring. The sinner's penalty was learning, being realizing that when, if you die in your sins and go to hell, you will be forsaken by God because you chose not by faith to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. You'll be deserted by the God of all creation, the God who could have been your father. In hell, you'll be deserted. Listen, Jesus was experiencing the sinner's penalty on the cross, and part of that penalty was desertion and abandonment. He was experiencing the depths of what we could go through. He was experiencing the eternal separation from God when we die with our sin, without our sins forgiven. He was experiencing the horror of separation on the cross. He was feeling the wrath of God upon him for every sinner. Listen, brother and sister in Christ, Jesus accepted all that for you and I. He endured that for you and I so that our sins could be paid for in full. I like what the songwriter said. He said, yea, once Emmanuel's orphan cry, his universe has shaken and went up single echoless, my God, I am forsaken. And went up from the holy lips amid his lost creation. That of the lost, no son should use those words of desolation. Jesus endured that. Desertion, abandonment, forsaking, darkness, hurt, withdrawal from everything else. He experienced all that so the sin debt could be paid for. He endured that so that you, sir, if you're without Christ, and you, ma'am, if you're without Christ, you don't have to go through that. He took your place and he endured all that. Oh, this morning, would you notice we see this, this terrible darkness and we see this terrible desertion. Would you notice one more thing? Go back with me to Psalms, uh, Matthew chapter 27. Would you notice the punishing death? Jesus was not on that cross for recreation purposes. Jesus was not on that cross to get his picture on Life magazine. Jesus was on that cross for you and for me to pay our sins in full. And I want you to read with me one more time what happened here. Verse 50 says, after all of these things, Jesus, when he cried again, what was he cried again with a loud voice? Well, that's recorded in the Gospel of John. Those words, it is finished. To tell us it's finished. It's paid in full. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Would you notice verse 50? When he cried again with a loud voice, and that crying again with a loud voice were statements number six and statements number seven. He yielded up the ghosts. Matthew Henry said, Come and see the victories of the cross. Christ's wounds are thy healings. His agonies thy repose. His conflicts thy conquest. His groans thy songs. His pains thine ease. His shame thy glory. His death thy life. His sufferings 
thy salvation. I want you, as we come to a near close, I want you to consider the punishing death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you notice how salvation was completed? Would you notice what the death of Jesus Christ did for you and me? Number one, would you notice in the death of Jesus Christ, it was a vicious punishment. It was a vicious death. So Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, we saw a glimpse of that during the offertory. Isaiah described it this way. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. And we've gone over this many times, but I remind you this morning, the suffering Jesus went to was vicious. It was a vicious suffering. They beat him to pulp. They tore his back to shreds. They threw the cross on his back and carrying that beam, he had to carry it all the way to Calvary. Jesus was pierced with those nails. Blood was flowing out of his wounds. Listen, the pain was riveting through his body. If you had to say, if your pain was a 10 out of 10, it might have been for Jesus a 12 out of 10. He just endured all that. His breathing, his breathing became more labored. Listen, the water was building up in his lungs and around his heart. It became increasingly more difficult for him to breathe. His cognitive ability was going in and out just as ours would be. And they tried to give him things to help him. He was so sorely dehydrated. And listen, all the descriptions we saw, Jesus, everything he endured was a vicious death. It was a brutal death. It was a cruel death. Listen, if, that, if something like that was to be considered today in the United States of America, hopefully someone would stand up and say, that's not right. They would say it was inhumane. But what Jesus went through was hum inhumane. Listen, today in America, people take better care of their animals than people did to Jesus on that cross. No doctor would attend to him. No disciple that said he loved him would step up and take his place. No, why? Because Jesus took our place. It was a vicious, brutal suffering. He was wounded. He was bruised. All of that for you and me. It was a vicious suffering. Notice it was a voluntary suffering. John 10, 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Listen, he didn't go with he didn't he didn't he didn't fight with them. He didn't run from them. He gave himself voluntarily as a lamb before the shearers is slain. He gave himself voluntarily. Grit get that around your mind for a minute. He went. Without a fight, he gave himself for you and me. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone into his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. He went voluntarily. Listen, when you think about volunteerism, brother and sister in Christ, it's like pulling teeth sometimes to get people to volunteer and do something for the Lord. Would you notice Jesus? He went voluntarily. Unrestrained. Uninhibited. No second thought. He gave his all. He went, I need to go to the cross. I must needs go to the cross, he said. His suffering was vicious. His suffering was voluntary. Would you notice his suffering was vicarious? Vicarious means substitutionary. He took your place. Everything I should have gone through. Everything you should have gone through. All the suffering I should have by going to hell. He did all that. He took all that for you and me. Look at Romans chapter 5 verses 8 and 9. But God commendeth his love towards us. Why did he do this? Because of love. Aren't you glad about that today? He proved his love 
He demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, and that's very important, as sinners, we should have been on that cross. As sinners, we should go to hell. But God proved his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ was not, was not just deserted for us. Christ did not go to the depths, depths of suffering for us. Christ didn't do all that. Christ went through suffering. Christ was deserted. Christ was beaten. Christ died. Christ died for us. Put your name in there. Christ died for Alan. Christ died for Grace. Christ Christ died for Lisa. Christ died for Peter. Christ died for Charles. Christ died for Robbie. Listen, Christ died for us. You and me. Your name was on him when he got crucified. I want to tell you something good, though, this morning. Yes, it was vicious. And yes, it was voluntary. Yes, it was vicarious. But praise God, it was victorious. You give your life for cause, it might be in vain. But he gave his life and was victorious. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also has once suffered for sins. Now if you've never noticed this, underline that, those two words, once suffered. His death doesn't have to be repeated over and over again. Once and for all. Amen? Amen. That's great significance when you consider the Jewish law. Passover, once a year. In the beginning, with Adam and Eve, one lamb for every man. We get to the nation of Egypt, one lamb for an entire people group. Passover is established. Now we get into the time when Moses leads them out. And now this lamb is to be offered for the whole nation, one lamb for every man. One lamb for every house. One lamb for every nation. But listen, we get to Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Praise God. One lamb for all the world. Amen? Amen. One lamb for all of us. Past, present, future. One lamb for all the world. He's the lamb for sinners slain. God committed his love towards us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. But it gets better. Look at verse 9. Much more. Hey, Paul got excited. I think, he got, was, I think he was walking on air at that moment. He said, much more. I've got to tell you some more. I want you to know a little bit more. He did, because sometimes we get used to hearing Jesus died for us. He said, but much more. Much more. He said, much more, he said, he, in verse 9. He said, much more. Christ, he said, being put to death. He says, much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. And Paul wanted to make sure we knew this, that the blood of Jesus Christ, what gives us justification, the blood of Jesus Christ washes away our sins. The blood of Jesus Christ was the payment price for sin to be paid for. Listen, Jesus could have died from a heart attack. Jesus could have died from a hanging. Jesus could have died from a stoning. No, it had to be through a crucifixion where blood would be shed. Listen, much more than we are justified by his blood, the penalties paid in full, the sin death paid in full. Glory to God, much more. More than we are saved from wrath through him. It was victorious. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us or bought us out of the curse of the law. Be made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Pastor Fong, what's victorious about it? Well, when Jesus died on the cross, there was victory over sin. Sin was defeated at the cross. If you're a Christian this morning, someone who's saved, you've, made, you've taken Jesus Christ your Savior. If you're someone who struggles with wondering not, 
I'm saved, but I know I still sin. How do I know when I sin again, and we will sin again? How do I know that my sins will be forgiven? Because of the wonderfulness of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us, listen, from all sin. The word all means our past sins, our present sins when we accept him, and our future sins. And that's why following that verse, we get 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, it's victorious because Jesus gave us victory over sin. But listen, secondly, Jesus gave us victory over Satan. Satan is defeated at the cross. Amen? Amen. He's defeated at the cross. As we'll see next week, when Jesus rose again from the dead, he gave us victory over death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Yes, it was vicious. Yes, it was vicarious. Yes, it was voluntary. But praise God, it's victorious. Thank God for the punishing death. As we close this morning, we think about all that Jesus went through. This darkness and all. The petrifying darkness. The pitiful desertion. The punishing death. I'm done. Now throw it back into your lap. There's a personal decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? If you don't accept him, you're saying, you're telling him you're rejecting him. You're telling him you don't need him. You're telling him that you'd rather spend eternity in hell. Because I've tried the best I can through the scriptures this morning to help you see through the holy word of God how compelling it is for every man and woman, every sinner to get saved. How compelling it is for every Christian, no matter where you're at in your Christian life, that you can live for God. Because that he died for all. That they which live should henceforth not live to themselves, but unto him that died for them and gave himself for them. Jesus did not die in vain. He died so that those who are saved could live victoriously for him. And so as we consider the personal decision, I draw your attention to John 5, 24. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Here's the good news. You don't have to get on a cross somewhere and go up here to the hills by Lake Chabot. You don't have to get on a hill, take a cross, and go up to, to, to Mount Capiton or wherever it may be there in, in, in El Capiton up there in, in Yosemite. And you don't have to take a cross and go up to the top of Mount Everest and say, and, and say I've got to be crucified. No, you don't have to do that. Jesus did all that for you. What you need to do is you've heard the word of God. You must believe with all your heart by faith and say, I repent of my sins and believe that Jesus did all that for me and take him as your savior because the promise in John 5 24 is he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life that means it's a promise that's going to happen it's a promise that happens immediately you have everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation you know what he does the sentence of condemnation is torn in half he throws it away he says what sins are you talking about you're set free you have everlasting life in Jesus Christ in Romans 10 he says this that if, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Yesterday, as we spoke to those people at the Perez home, and many of them were not necessarily friends, they were just new acquaintances. I spoke about John eleven twenty five, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. 
And he that believeth on me shall never die. He asked this question, believest thou this? And I told every one of those people there, if I could believe for you, I would do it, but I can't. I could only believe for myself. You've got to believe on your own. And so the apostle Paul writes that if thou shalt confess with thy, thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that God has raised him from the dead, he says, thou or you shall be saved. God wants to save you today. God wants you to take Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't have to wait to Easter Sunday. Let it be today on April 14th, Jesus comes into your heart. Amen. April 15th is a deadline for taxes. I want to tell you this morning, the deadline for getting saved is right now. Amen. Get Jesus your heart right now. Many years ago, one of our former presidents, Teddy Roosevelt, during the Spanish-American War, he was a colonel in the U.S. Army, and the group that he led were called the Rough Riders. He had some men that had been injured. He needed to get some food, but he needed to get some first aid help. And some of you know U.S. history know that Clara Barton kind of led the forefront of the start of what we now know as the American Red Cross. And the American Red Cross at that time was just unfolding and it's kind of its, its work and just helping and delivering in, in terms of times of crisis and so forth there. And Teddy Roosevelt heard that, as, this current, as Colonel Roosevelt at that time, heard that there was a Red Cross station within the distance of where he was traveling. And he brought his rough riders, some who were injured and bleeding and hurt. And he went up there and he asked for who was in charge. He said, well, Clara Barton's in charge. He said, well, I know who Clara Barton is. I've heard about her. He demanded an audience with Clara Barton. And she came out and said, sir, how can I help you? And she said, he said, well, Miss Barton, I'm Colonel, I'm Colonel Roosevelt. She said, yes, sir, I, I know that. I know about you. He said, well, I, I've got some money here. And I, I came, I've got these guys who are fighting for our country here. And they need some, we need some food. And we need some, we need some first aid kits. We need some antiseptic and some bandages and all of these kinds of things there. And he said, I've got the money to pay for it. She said, we well, can't have it. He said, what do you mean I can't have it? I've got the money to pay for it. He said, you can't have it that way. She said, and he got upset with her. He said, what do you mean I can't have it? He said, he said uh, she said, Mr. Roosevelt, here's the thing. You don't have to pay for it. It's free. All you have to do is ask for it. You want to pay for it, I'm not going to take any money for it. I can't give it to you if you want to pay for it. But if you just ask for it, I'm going to give it to you for free. And Teddy Roosevelt learned a lesson there that all you got to do is ask God and he'll give it to you. Listen, that's what you need to do to get saved this morning. All you got to do is ask God and he'll save you this morning. That's all you got to do. And if you're far away from God and you're not near the Lord, all you got to do is say, God, I know I'm far away from you. I need to come up close and get my fellowship restored and right with God. I was preaching out there in Manteca and I saw a preacher that's from a city about two hours from here, and we, had a, we used to have a man that used to come to our church that lives over there. I got to talk to this preacher, and he was part of the special music on Friday, uh, Thursday night and Friday, and I uh, got to know him, and his fans, it's a singing family. He's got about seven children, and they, or seven of their family, something like that, and they say, beautiful music, did a great job. And I went up to the pastor, I said, hey, pastor, I said, how you doing? And he, we hadn't seen each other for a little bit there, and I asked him about this man who used to go to our church. I said, hey, he's in your church, how's he doing? He said, Brother Fong, thank you for asking me that. He says, you know, he hasn't been to church for a little while. I got a text message from the preacher this morning and very early today. He said, Brother Fong, I just want to thank you for being at the conference and preaching. He said, I just want to let you know I'm very thankful. It touched my heart that you thought about that young man. You hadn't seen him for a few years. You thought about that young man. He said, I reached out to him on Saturday and told him you were interested in knowing what's going on with him and you wanted him to come back to church. I asked him to come to church and he's coming this morning. Hey, can I tell you something today? All you got to do is ask Jesus to come to your heart to wash away your sins. He'll save you this morning. Come to Christ this morning. Why has thou forsaken me? doesn't have to be your cry. It was the cry of our Savior. 
He was forsaken so that you can be forgiven. He was crucified so that you can be converted. He shed his blood so that you could have everlasting life. Don't reject the greatest gift you could receive. Take Jesus as your Savior. If you're not 100% sure you're saved this morning, altar workers will be at the front. They're not there to embarrass you. They're not there for you to be a spectacle. They are there to lovingly take the Word of God and show you today how to get saved. Stop running from God. Stop running from God. Come to today. Get saved. If you are saved and you're not living for Him, I, I encourage you this morning, as the choir sang about the cross, come there to the cross and say, God, help me to live for you. Give me the boldness I need so I can live for you. Father in heaven, as we have this invitation, some need to get saved this morning. Some need to call upon Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Would you have your powerful way in every heart? Would you help those who have heard today how to be saved call upon Jesus Christ to be their Savior? Here's what I want to help you to do. You're feeling a tug on your heart. God has spoken to you that you're not 100% sure you are saved and going to heaven. I want to help you. Right where you're seated, you can pray and call on the Lord of salvation to save you from your sins. You can pray a prayer like this as our altar workers come. You can say, dear God, I repent today of being a sinner. And I believe in my heart that your son, Jesus Christ, died for all my sins and rose again from the dead. I accept Jesus now to be my Savior and my God. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the gift of everlasting life. Thank you today for letting me become a son of God in Jesus' name. Now, we're going we're gonna to pause right now. And during this pause... Can I ask this question? Is there a man, a woman, a young man, young woman? Is there someone here today? When you came through those doors and you sat down, you weren't sure you're saved. But just now, you prayed with me and asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You would say, by the raising your right hand, Pastor Fong, I want you to know, I prayed just now and asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I want you to know that. Is there anyone here today, as we prayed, you just called on the Lord to save you? Anyone would raise their hand and say, Pastor, I just prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Anyone like that today? I called on the Lord to save me today. I wasn't sure I was saved before, but I just called him today. How many Christians today got spoken to you about all the horrificness Christ went through that stirred your heart to do something for him? Either at your seat or at the front of the altar, I encourage you to make a decision to live for God. To say, Jesus, thank you for all that you suffered. Help me to be a better volunteer than what I'm used to doing. And to volunteer to do things without grudgingness, without a hesitation, and have a willingness to, to do whatever is needed to help promote the cause of Christ. Father, we love you today. Draw us near to the cross now. Draw us closer to you because the cross never repels anyone. And we pray this morning, thank God, because Jesus is not on the cross, but he's risen and he's in heaven at the right hand of God. Right now, he's extending an invitation for those without Christ to be saved and those who perhaps are saved but are far away to come near once again. Father, draw us with a nearness and a touch of God that would move our hearts. We pray for this now in Jesus' name. 